Welcome. Let's join best-selling author Fred Kuhn as he interviews our next guest expert. Welcome, everybody. We have a very interesting topic today. It is the intersection of communication and advocacy. My God, what does that mean? Well, Sage Hoare is going to tell us exactly what it means. Sage is a public affairs executive with a deep experience at the intersection of advocacy and communications. Her consulting firm is Sage Hoare Strategies, LLC, and she uses strategies to engage her stakeholders and the media to advance the client's objectives. So, Sage, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Glad to have you. This is a very interesting subject. You're working with corporations. What are you seeing as the issues, as you call it, the intersection of communication and advocacy? What does that mean to my listeners? I think when you're looking at a, at a problem or an objective, oftentimes it gets muddied by your communications people maybe just doing things the same old way. We get in a rut where we have a cookie-cutter approach to problem-solving when keeping focused on the mission or the objective might really drive some different strategies and tactics. So, for example, if you want to lower your costs of services by eliminating a regulatory obstacle, it matters who the gatekeepers are. That will drive a communication strategy. It matters who your allies are. That will drive a particular communication strategy. And we need to know enough about the targets. And by that, I mean the decision makers to know how they receive information. Are they social media consumers? Do they still read their local newspaper? Are they more influenced by their friends and colleagues? Do they have a particular trigger point? And all of that information goes into the communication strategy we would construct to achieve success for the company. So how do you divide that or add that or subtract that with advocacy? How does that advocacy mix in? Well, so the advocacy piece would be who is actually communicating with the lawmaker or decision maker. And what we want to do is provide that advocate with all of the tools he or she needs to be successful, kind of create a surround sound for success there. So that I'm going to go see you, Fred, and I'm going to say, please do this or don't do this, but we're going to have an echo chamber of other influential voices also saying the same thing. So think about a petition to put a cell tower in a city park, and there are going to be people who really, really do not want a cell tower to mess up their city park, but there might be a school nearby that doesn't have good access to the internet. There might be a police station that really needs better 911 location. There might be a housing development that can't afford the Comcast bill, but would like to connect to the internet wirelessly and can offer that to their customers. The fiber that brings the data to the tower might be accessible to local businesses, giving them an up. So what I would do is develop those voices to weigh in on the issue in addition to your advocacy directly with the decision maker. How does this differ from public relations in its most extreme form? I think the voice is what differs. So in public relations, I am relating to the public through the media on behalf of my client in my client's name. And in this instance that I'm describing to you, I am doing that, but I'm adding to that 
other voices who are relating to the public in their name. So let's say you are lobbying the mayor of Washington, D.C. on a right-of-way issue, and it's controversial, or it's not controversial, you just want it to happen. And so what, what we would do is bring in a local community activist to say, yes, this is fine. This is what we should be doing because it has all these other good outputs. Or we have an academic write a paper that says, you know, streamlining the right-of-way rules will bring more business into your community without even mentioning the particular issue at hand. And so it's a way of developing kind of a groundswell on your particular issue in the name of your client, but also in the name of other good people who want the same outcome. So public relations, I think of is I'm working for Coca-Cola and I'm saying Coca-Cola is a great product. And in this instance, I'm doing that. Plus, I'm working in the name of a dietitian who says, if you can limit your consumption of Coca-Cola you know, to one a day, right. then the impact is not so great on obesity. You see, it's putting uh, advocacy out there in your name plus in the name of other influential people. Or an interesting concept. It sounds like it applies to large companies. Is it only it for could large apply to large companies? But let me tell you a story about a smaller company. I had a client come to me with a sort of crisis communications issue, and that was a bad story in a local newspaper. And I looked at it and I said, look, this is something that I can absolutely help you with. I can go to the media relations team. I can talk to the reporter. But I think your problem is really something quite different, which is that you are not relating to the community. You're not engaged in the community. And so when you get a bad story in the paper and it says you're an out-of-town corporation, the reporter's always going to report on a crime, which it was in this instance. But if you had built up some equity in the community by going to the Rotary Club, by getting to know your neighbors, by engaging in the neighborhood meetings, by hosting some events in your facility by getting out in the community and doing some death sides with reporters, then they wouldn't have as much equity impact in calling you an out-of-town corporation. In other words, you build up a reserve of goodwill that you can call upon when bad things happen, because they always do. And that, Fred, doesn't have to cost any money. It just means, you know, getting out there and meeting people and building up personal equity by being present. So it it is something that very large corporations can do. You don't have to be a big corporation to take this approach. It seems to me that it's very labor intensive, requires a large staff, or is this something an individual entrepreneur could do? I think it's just a matter of making it a priority. I think an individual entrepreneur can and should. I mean, it, 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 it can overlap with marketing, but really being present, building your network, showing that you care, I think pays great dividends, both in new business and in mitigating crises. Tell me what your favorite solution was, what your biggest problem was, and what you solved. Okay, so um, I was hearing from my clients that there was a false narrative about the availability of high-speed broadband in some smaller cities and rural communities. And my client had, in fact, installed or deployed broadband in those same communities. So there was a myth competing with a fact, but there was no way to connect them. And just saying it, just restating it, 
wasn't working. So what we did is create a marketing agreement where we would go to the industrial park or the school or the strip mall where we had, in fact, installed this broadband and say to the business owner, we will let you use the fact, we will let you market the fact that we have installed broadband here. If you will allow us to put a sign on your door that says that we've installed broadband here. So we went around to industrial parks, schools, strip malls, and said, can we do an event with you where we announce that you have our product available to your customers? And so we did, oh, I mean, I think at last count, 150 of these events around the country. Very simple, very low cost. The local newspaper came, and we had this marketing designation for these businesses that they could use to attract business and that we could then point to with lawmakers and say, look, you know, there's fiber everywhere. It's all over your community. So that's my favorite solution because it was low cost. It benefited both the lawmaker and the business owner, and it tended to be a marketing win for my client. Good. Did they get more business from it? Yes, indeed. Then that's the bottom line, isn't it? Yes, it is. But you see, it's creative problem solving. That's a great phrase. Creative problem solving. Sort of like creative storytelling. Absolutely. Exactly. Telling a story to just have different audiences, right? Folks, we have been very meaningfully engaged with Sage Hoare, who is the owner of the consulting firm Sage Hoare Strategies, LLC. Quite an experienced and accomplished individual. Sage was president and CEO of the Georgia chapter for the Arthritis Foundation. She had a career with AT&T. Sage, I want to thank you very much for being part of the U.S. at work today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And let me say that one of the best decisions I have made is working with you and with Sharon to keep my ideas (laughs) fresh and to keep on track with my uh, consulting business. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thank you very much. I hadn't expected that. <laughs> you deserve it. Thank you well, so much. Thanks. Everybody, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you for visiting with us. We welcome your comments and suggestions and look forward to having you join us soon at Workplace Strategies.